My name is Adele Campbell. Today's scripture reading is from the Good News according to Luke, chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. Listen to the word of God. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God of love, as in Jesus Christ you gave yourself to us, so may we give ourselves to you, living according to your holy will. Keep our feet firmly in the way where Christ leads us. Help our lips speak the truth that Christ teaches us. And fill our bodies with the life that is Christ within us. In his holy name we pray. Amen. Rejection. Rejection. Today's scripture revolves around the theme of rejection, specifically the rejection of Jesus. First, Jesus is rejected by Herod. Some Pharisees were told, some Pharisees come to Jesus and they say to him, get out of here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now, this is a little odd, odd because the Gospels relentlessly portray this group, the Pharisees, as foils for Jesus, as bad guys opposed to his ministry. You'd think they'd be just fine with this plan, but here they're jumping in and warning Jesus about a plot to kill him. It's a little bit out of character, you could say. Who isn't out of character, though, is Herod. Herod Antiochus, not to be confused with King Herod. I guess this is more like John or Dave or Bill, sort of names that were used often in the ancient world. Not to be confused with King Herod. He is the Tetrarch of Galilee, which is another way of saying he's the puppet, local puppet ruler, more or less appointed by the Romans. And he's already had Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, imprisoned and beheaded as a criminal. So it makes sense that he set his sights on Jesus now. Jesus, or John, Jesus' protege was first, and Jesus is next. 
So the first rejection is by Herod, the open threat of assassination. The second rejection, however, is assumed rather than made explicit. Jesus more or less shrugs off the first threat, but then he alludes to a second one. He's like, tell Herod, tell Herod that fox when I'm casting out demons and performing cures and on the third day I finish my work because it's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. It's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. On one hand, this is a slight against Herod. Here Jesus is belittling Herod and making him look weak by saying, go ahead and try. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You can't catch me. On the other hand, Jerusalem is where Jesus is headed. That's where the true threat is. And why is that? Well, Jesus explains. Jerusalem, he says, Jerusalem Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and those who are sent to it. Here Jesus is directly invoking the long history of God's people. Jerusalem is the capital of city, the seat of the Jerusalem temple, the holiest of holy places, the beating heart of the country and the special residence of the Lord himself. Time and time again, God has sent prophets to Jerusalem, people given divine perspective, and these prophets have been sent at particularly low points for God's people. Generally, when they've forgotten God, they've forgotten the commandments, forgotten who they are, the prophets have appeared with a word from the Lord, pointing out sin and injustice and calling Israel back to justice and righteousness. And generally, you may have guessed, generally, God's people haven't liked that. These prophets have ended up dead, imprisoned, mocked. It's Jerusalem, the holy city. If anything, these folks should be welcoming God with open arms, but instead of receiving God's messengers, they reject them. And the implication is that in rejecting God's prophets, they also reject God. This is the story of the Old Testament over and over and over again, the unwillingness of God's people to love God and their neighbors and to bring about their own self-destruction. And here Jesus is just expecting more of the same. He's expecting to join in that long parade of prophets to the gallows. Now at this point in the text, we would all be forgiven for wondering, well, what was the point of it all then? Anyway, Jesus. Herod rejects Jesus. Jerusalem will reject Jesus. There's an air of of inevitability to it all. I mean, why bother at all, Jesus, if they're just going to reject you? What is the point? And it all sounds rather foolish, doesn't it? It all sounds foolish, and that's because, in a way, it is. It's foolish, not in the sense that God is a dummy, but in the sense that God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. If you remember last week, I am God, you are not. It's in the sense that the Apostle Paul uses the word that God's wisdom is likely to look like foolishness to the world. Because what do we do when 
we're rejected by enemies, well, we give up. We turn it in. We reject back in retaliation, sometimes even more intensely than those who reject us. But not God. God doesn't give up. God doesn't turn it in or even reject in retaliation. How long have I desired to gather your children together, Jesus says, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. How often, God says, it's over and over and over again. This is one of those prime feminine images for God in Scripture, that God's desire is to gather up her children like a mother hen, to save them, to protect them from predators, foxes, like Herod even. Not just once, but often and over and over and over again. Jesus doesn't give up in the face of Herod's hostility. Jesus still seeks after Jerusalem, even though he knows they're going to kill him. And guess what? The seeking's not even going to stop there, because following Jesus' resurrection and eventual ascension, through his disciples, he's not only going to seek after Jerusalem again, salvation's still going to be on the table for the whole world. We're just like little chicks who wander off in each and every direction, you know, cheep, 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 with the idea that somehow we've got it in us to survive on our own. But God's like that mother hen, ceaselessly scrambling to bring us back into the fold. God isn't stopped. And what we have on display here is what the late Catholic writer Brennan Manning calls the furious longing of God. The furious longing of God. This is a God who is relentless. In the scriptures in Jesus Christ, Manning says, we discover that there is nowhere God won't go to find us. There's no country too distant, no terrain too treacherous, no risk too great. There are no boundaries where his love will take, where his love will take him in order to find us, embrace us, and carry us home. This is the relentless longing of God. The point here is to illustrate for us the incredible mercy and perseverance of God towards even those who reject him outright and entirely. That no matter the threat, Jesus will be on his way, feeding, healing, and raising the dead. Our rejection does nothing to deter God's persistence in seeking us out to bring us home. Now, this is good news in two ways. First, it is good news for you and for me in all of our estrangement, all of our alienation from God and from each other. We don't love God as we oughta, nor our neighbors as we should. There's no doubt about that. But our sin does nothing. Our failure does nothing. Our falling short, our turning away, our backsliding, or otherwise, these do nothing to change God's furious longing, God's gracious disposition towards us. 
God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, in the words of the Apostle Paul, Christ died for us. Despite our unwillingness, God, like a mother hen, still longs to gather us and all of creation under her wings, and God's going to keep gathering until we give in. All it takes is a willingness to take our place. That's what we call justification by faith. This is a word from God directly for you and for me. Bud, God longs to gather you up under her wings. Healing, peace, hope. It's all waiting. All you need to be is willing. Delia, how about you? God longs to gather you too. All you need to be is willing. And Roberta, I don't know why I came to Roberta last. Maybe, maybe you know, the best for last or the worst for last? What is? God longs to gather you too. So stop running, because there's no point. You can't outrun the Lord of all creation. God's not going to stop until you say yes. God's not going to stop until we say yes. Over and over and over again. Insert your name in there too. It's good news for each and every one of us as individuals. In all of our estrangement, God is never estranged from us. It's the message of the psalm we read in the call to worship. Surely goodness and mercy, it says, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is relentlessly after us, just waiting for our will willingness to be gathered in by grace. We are never written off by God. And that is good news. That is the best possible news for you and for me. Now there's the second piece of good news. And maybe it's kind of bad news because it's good news. I don't know. I suppose the hard part about this is that it's also good news for everybody else too. As Paul says in 1 Timothy, God desires that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All. That word all. And all means all. This means that God longs to gather our enemies and the people we write off as much as us. The ones who wounded us. The ones who continue to wound us. The ones we can't stand or understand. The ones we even hate. You know, convoy truckers paternalistic health authorities, 
whatever our politics may be. I mean, if the Lord wants Herod, the Lord wants people like Putin, too. Insert your enemy's name where you inserted your name earlier. That's the radical message at the heart of the Bible. That's what's poured out on the cross in Jesus Christ. God longs to gather even the most wicked and and unwilling into her kingdom of justice, peace, righteousness, and eternal life. And it's hard because it demands the same kind of persistence of us. It means that if we truly believe that this applies to us, we can't write any of them off either. Now, I'll be honest. I'm not entirely sure what this means in all of its practical details. How do you love any difficult person? We all have someone in our life who's impossible to love, let alone Vladimir Putin. I don't have the exact answer for that. God's willingness to gather does not always equal a willingness to be gathered. What I do know, however, is that according to the scriptures, it begins with repentance. It begins with a turning, with a change of heart and a change of mind. It begins with the recognition of the absolute height and depth of the Father's love and longing for all of his children. That like a mother hen, God longs to gather each of us up under her wings and will never cease until each of her scattered chicks is brought back home. And if this is true, it means we will no longer regard anyone from a merely human point of view. Not ourselves and not our worst enemies that will be willing to not only take our sheltered place at God's side, but that we too will furiously long for a day when all of God's wandering children are gathered safely forever and for good. May it be so, by God's amazing grace, may it be so. Amen. Please stand for our hymn of the day. What a beautiful name. Your hand. 